So we continue the series called uh, My Price Tag, and today I'm going to be talking about the cost of the gospel. Now I'll be very brief because we'd love for you to get to the back there. And I want to read a scripture quickly, Matthew 27. Matthew 27, from verse 27 to 31, and we'll continue down the, the reading. It says, some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted him, Hail, King of the Jews! They spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally uh, tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. The scripture continues again, still Matthew 27. This was when Jesus was now on the cross. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lamaka, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. Uh, one of them ran and, and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Uh, but the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart. Matthew 27. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we're grateful that Jesus completed this work of the cross for us. Lord, thank you that even as we commemorate and, and ponder and pause and reflect on this awesome day, we know that the message of the cross is power for us. It is the power that enables us to live a life that is consistent with the call of God over our lives. And we know this is the gospel that gives us power to live lives that are, that are holy and that honor you. And we bless you today as we receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Matthew 27 is written. And this was when Jesus was arrested and after the Lord's Supper, he was betrayed by Judas. Some things I want us to note in this as we progress with the story of Matthew 27. Jesus is having supper with Judas and the rest of his disciples. And Jesus is so aware of the fact that he's going to be betrayed by Judas. And it must have been so hard to be sitting around the table and eating with someone that you know a few hours from now he is going to be the one who's ultimately going to betray you and get you to be crucified. Although you might understand that Jesus may have, wow, Jesus knew that he was going to be ultimately betrayed, but still in his humanity, this must have been a very painful experience. Uh, to be sitting around Judas, perhaps Judas was cracking jokes and telling around the table how awesome Jesus was. And in Jesus' heart, he knew that this man was not really genuine and he was not meaning what he was saying. And so finally, Judas betrays Jesus. And 
what that betrayal meant was that they were looking for people that had firsthand information about Jesus and about, you know, about him and, and him coming as a witness, testifying against Jesus and saying the things about Jesus to these people that they didn't know about Jesus. And so he went and told them lies about Jesus and all these other things for 30 pieces of silver. Now he gets the money. Obviously, Jesus is betrayed. Now Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And these soldiers are coming and they're coming and they're coming after him. As if it was not enough, Judas thought, well, maybe the only way to betray this man is to give him a last kiss. And that is the way that I'm going to betray him. I mean, I would have wanted for him perhaps to stay away and not say anything at least. But you cannot betray me with the most intimate thing that one can do to another person. That even when you are being intimate, you are actually betraying me. And so he betrays Jesus and Jesus is arrested and he's taken to places. And this is when Jesus has been you know, taken and is in the praetorium and being judged. And so obviously these people had been looking for opportunities to mock him and to, you know, to, uh, to play with him because Jesus said he's the king of the Jews. Jesus said he was going to destroy the temple and in three days he was going to rebuild it. And so now they know how long it took them to, re to build the temple. And so they're saying, Jesus, but we've got you now. We've got you now. You are here. We've arrested you. We are playing with you. They put a crown of thorns on his head. We were trying to create a crown of thorns last week with Wesley and Pastor Andrew. And we had to, do, we had to use other things to be able to make that crown because we had to be very careful. Otherwise, we would be bleeding in a moment because they're quite sharp. But imagine that being placed on your head. And as those thorns are piercing his forehead and they're piercing and coming into his head and he's bleeding. And you can imagine the mockery and, and he's bleeding here after they'd beaten him. And they're looking uh, uh, from afar at him and say, but look at you now. You said you're the king. Look at what has happened to you. And so then they took him and decided to take him back to Pilate. Now they take him back to Pilate and, and say, Pilate, well, we want you to make the final judgment on this man. And the Bible says that Pilate didn't find anything wrong with Jesus. And so the people advised him and say, hey, you need to ask these Jewish people what they want you to do with this man. And the very people that Jesus was healing, the very people that Jesus was feeding when they were hungry, but... When Jesus was going through this hardest time of his life, the very same people began to shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! Knowing so well that crucifixion was the hardest punishment in those days. And so Jesus then was led to the cross and then he was crucified. Now I want you to picture this as Jesus is going through all this. He had a moment in the garden where he said, Lord, is it possible to take away this from me? That's how real it was because it was painful. Because Jesus was asking the Father, Lord, is, is there any other way that, that we can fulfill the salvation plan without me having to go to the cross? But he then says, Lord, but let your will be done. And we understand from that scripture that the will of God was that Jesus would be crucified that way. 
And so Jesus is crucified on the cross. The writer of Hebrews gives us a picture of why Jesus was being crucified. He says in, in Hebrews, he says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so I'm imagining as Jesus is going through all this pain, and as Jesus is being shredded, and as Jesus is being bitten, all he's seeing ahead of him is the joy set before him. He's looking at you and I coming into the kingdom and he's like, man, yes, I feel like quitting, but I'm not going to quit because I'm seeing her, I'm seeing him, I'm seeing them coming into the kingdom. And for the joy set before him, the Bible says, not only did he just die on the cross, he endured the cross. That implies that he had to experience the pain of the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And that is what Jesus went through. And so what should our response be? What should we do in response to this magnificent God who has made himself and clothed himself with human flesh so that he could save us? What should our response be to that which Jesus has done for us? And I've got three points that I believe will help us in our response one is we should repent of our sins. Jesus did this so that we can live a righteous life. And so our response to Jesus dying on the cross is not just us wearing the cross around our necks, but it's so that we can live a life that is consistent with the values of the kingdom. It's so that we can live a life that reflects the life that Jesus wanted us to live. And so it's for us to say, Lord, I repent of my sin. I don't want to live a life that does not reflect the kind of price you paid for me. I want to live a life that says, man, I understand this man sacrificed his life so that I don't have to live this life. And our second response is this. Is that we receive his forgiveness. I want to read a scripture quickly. Hebrews 9 verse 22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And I want you, if you're here and you feel like, man, your life has been a mess. You feel like you've, you've messed up. You feel like you're not deserving of the love of God. You feel like, man, you don't even deserve to be sitting here because you've done so many wrong things. I want you to know that there is forgiveness for you. And the reason that Jesus had to go to the cross is so that you don't have to live with the guilt of your sin, but that you live with the righteousness and the celebration of the cross of Jesus. And so it's for you to say, Lord, today I receive your forgiveness. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to be ashamed of the things that I've done. I don't want to live rather in shame of the things I've done. I want to live a life that says, man, Jesus has died on the cross for me. He has forgiven my sins and I receive that forgiveness. And I want you to receive that forgiveness today. And know that He has qualified you. He's made you worthy of everything that you deserve. That He's made you worthy to be called son and daughter of the Most High God. 
that it's not of your own strength. And our last response is this one, that we should remember the price he paid. The cross is the lowest standard that our lives should be because it is an entry into the kingdom. But living below the standard of the cross is almost a crime. It is a sacrilege. Jesus at least has set the bar from the cross going beyond into the abandoned things of God. And so this means that I know what Jesus has done for me and I refuse so categorically to live a life that is below the standard of the cross. That the cross is going to be my starting point of living my life. The Bible says that the cross Jesus was crucified and bruised for our iniquities. That by his chastisement gives us peace. And therefore I'm living a life. When my life does not have peace, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm living below the standard of the cross. I must have peace because the cross has provided peace for me. He says, by stripes we are healed. Therefore, I have to at least live the standard of the cross, which means my life must be whole. And so, Jesus has done this for us. There's a scripture quickly as I close. It says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Jesus didn't deserve to die the death he died. The reason why he died that death was because of you and because of me. And so we are today the righteousness of God. We are not sinners. We are the, can you say I'm the righteousness of God? Come on, can you say that again like you believe it with faith and enthusiasm? Like I'm the righteousness of God. And that means I'm, I'm redeemed. I'm in right standing with God. There's nothing blocking my entrance to the throne room of God. That's who I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Lord, we want to thank you. Lord, we have a mixture of horror and joy in our hearts, Lord God. Horror over what you had to go through, but so much joy that you were willing to do it. So much joy that we can reap the benefits on the other side of a, a life of abundance, Lord God. And as Mike shared, Lord God, we are committing ourselves to live the kind of life that you want for us. An abundant life filled with joy, peace, righteousness, truth. Lord God, we ask again that you would fill us with your presence, Lord God. We ask that we would be able to stand strong as witnesses of what you have done, Lord God. That our lives would, would stand like lighthouses in this earth and that people would see your glory on us, Lord God. That people would come running to the righteousness and the truth and the integrity that they see in us, Lord God. And you would give us opportunities to share the truth we know, Lord Give us a boldness and an excitement about Jesus, Lord God, that means that we are unable to hold back the joy of what we've experienced. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.